wild courage exists to galvanize a generation of men. Tools and courage to fight for what matters most. And tell the stories that are born in the redemption of lives and souls. So today on the Wild Courage podcast, I have the wonderful opportunity and pleasure to interview um, a mentor of mine and a guy that, aside from my father, has had probably the single most biggest impact on my life. And so uh, without further ado, um, thank you, Grant Gallagher, so much for joining me this morning. and giving up some of your precious time to to sit down and have a conversation with me. My pleasure, Jeremy. It's always good to talk to you. So um, we'll just kind of start off of how we met, um, which we have to go back some, oh man, 20 plus years, I guess. I was uh, working at the Triangle X Ranch in Moose, Wyoming. And Grant was around the corner in Moran, Wyoming at the Diamond Cross Ranch. And we used to put on team pinnings over at Grant and Jane's place. And that's when we first met. And I saw how you worked with horses. And I was like, wow, that something's different about this guy. And I was immediately attracted to wanting to hang out with you. That was a long time ago. Yeah, I, re I remember I was shoeing horses out of my old Subaru. Subaru. <laughs> a Subaru, isn't that something? Yeah, I was like, wow, yeah, this I, is I, the I, most uncowboy rig, but this guy's the most cowboy guy I've seen in a while. So I didn't know what to do with you. Yeah, I, I had Ian Tyson pl playing out of the <laughs> thing. Subaru. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I had just been through a pretty tough, very, very tough time in my life. Because I'd been divorced and really lost everything in that divorce, except my kid, which is really all I cared yeah. about. And uh, so I had custody of a daughter and uh, had really lost everything, including my pickup uh, and my horse trailer. <laughs> so <laughs> I was starting over. And that's why I happened to be shoeing horses and up here. Yeah, when we first met, you weren't you and Jane weren't married. You were just shoeing horses out at the old arena across the street from where you're at now. And I think you guys ended up getting married that fall that I met you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we had just had got together and uh, kind of had found out that maybe we were for each other. And of course, that comes down to a dream I had that I would love to share with you, maybe even a little later in the podcast, because it's kind of how God has directed me through my life is through dreams. I'm a dreamer. And that God, you know, I don't know if people realize this. Many don't, but God speaks to us through dreams. Yeah. He did often through the Bible and and. uh Ever since I was a little kid, I was a dreamer. But early on, I had, because of probably some traumatic things this childhood, like you've been through and many have, my dreams were more nightmares. Mm. And I would do just crazy, stupid stuff in my sleep. 
uh, so much that my dad had to tie a rope around around me and tie me to my sister when we went camping because he's afraid I'd run off and wow jump over a cliff so over you, a cliff or something he, when when you dream when you'd have these dreams you'd you'd sleepwalk oh yeah i'd sleepwalk i'd take off yeah one time i ran up a, a hill my bare feet through uh, rocks and cactus and everything and woke up at the top of the hill and my feet were all cut up and bloody and dang and, and just thinking how stupid i was and you know i was with some buddies hiking and i had to walk out of there with you know, cut up bloody feet. So it, it, it early on, it was something that really hounded me in a bad way. But I, I think that my dreams had not been submitted to God. And, and of course, the enemy was using something that God had put into me, uh, even against me, I believe. Yeah. Because later on, when, you know, I got free from the nightmares then i started having god dreams being directed by god and ministered by him through dreams and i'd learned i'd learned over time to decipher a god dream from just a regular dream because you know like any of us we dream kind of where we're at sometimes yeah for sure well it it it's amazing to me and we'll get into that yeah like you said a little later but about you and jane and your your the vision that you have and and what happens when you say yes to dreams and explore them because you guys have lived this out more than anyone i've ever met but back to when we kind of first met um i remember meeting you you did a clinic that i went to that summer um before i went to arizona i was riding some colts and chewing and um down there in the winter time and i went to one of your clinics and i was just like blown away and kind of you know i grew up on ranches and around horses my whole life and then started plenty of colts and um thought i knew a lot and then i went to your clinic and i remember it being like I felt like a fraud. I'm like, oh my gosh, I've given my life to this thing and I know absolutely nothing. Right. <laughs> like it was the old cowboy show me who's boss thing, right? That that's just been passed on from generation to generation. And then I see you and uh, and my and I and I, I shouldn't say that all the way because my uncle Ricky rode with with Ray Hunt back in the 70s in Snake River Ranch and like but I, I uh, was kind of out of the house before I really wanted to be around horses. So what I kind of learned was with whoever I was around, right? And it was just kind of the jerk and spur technique. And and so when I saw that clinic, I was just like, that rested well in my soul because I'm not a fighter. And I knew I wanted more of that. And so I remember trying to go to Arizona and emulate what I saw you do which I knew, you know, I, I probably caused more harm than good at that point. But anyways, as, uh, as things turned out, you guys were looking for somebody and, uh, I was able to have the good fortune of coming to work for you and Jane the next summer. Um, and that's where our relationship really started to take off. That's how I remember right. it. That's right. Yeah. You came to work for us and, uh, 
well, I had a lot of cults to ride and among other trying to, you know, father a daughter and, uh, navigate two new stepsons. Nav- oh boy. Navigate two new stepsons, a joint family teen coming into the teenage years. They didn't understand it at all. Of course they'd been through, you know, two, two, uh, well, what two divorces already and one stepfather already that didn't work out very good for them. So their trust level was zero. So they, they didn't trust me at all and wouldn't hardly even talk to me. So that was tough. I remember it being pretty awkward because I ate meals with you guys. And I remember it being awkward a little bit with the, with the, with the boys. They were pretty quiet and just would eat and then go back to their rooms or go outside. Right. Yeah, their trust level was at zero. And of course, I couldn't make that change. So, you know, that was a tough time for me. But fortunately, you know, my wife, Jane, uh, was just just really strong through it all. And, you know, I was still pretty broken from a, a divorce after 16 years of marriage and raising a kid and, and uh, pretty fouled up. So... She was really strong for me. She was that safe place for me to, you know, to open up to and and talk about things. And she fortunately never took it, any of it personal. So uh, she was like my safe place to uh, heal. Yeah. And yeah. she has that way about her for sure. I felt that about her too. And not to get into my story, but I, I had a lot of women wounds and. And some of that came out with Jane and I's relationship later on, but I always felt safe there. Um, And I have so many great memories of, and even with the boys with Luke and Pete, especially Luke, because he's a little bit older and him and I kind of hit it off that first summer and and even more so the second summer, but, um, and, and obviously still to this day, we're super close, but I just remember I'd never been that excited to have a job before to, to get to go up there. And I was thinking this morning, you know, about that time grant. And I remember my first or second day on the job, you had to go somewhere and you had this buckskin gilding that was older. He's more of a troubled horse than a colt. And you're like, I want you to go ride him around in the pasture. I got to go to town or do something. And you're like, he's a little cinchy. So you know, just ease into them when you, when you, so I was so nervous and excited. Like I went and put my saddle on. He was tied to your, to, to your, the Jane's uh, horse trailer out in the front by the house. Mm-hmm. It wasn't across the road. And I went and cinched him up and I thought, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I, I, I cinched him up, but I had him tied up and he pulled back and broke the halter and took off. <laughs> So here's my, I don't even know if I've ever told you this, but he, he, he pulled back, flipped over on my saddle. And I thought, oh, he broke my tree. He jumps up and he takes off and the halter's broken. He ripped the Johnson halter through the poles. Right. And I'm like, this is, I'm like convinced that you're going to fire me because you told me, Hey, this horse is cinchy, like probably assuming that I would understand not to leave him tied up to saddle him. Right. And I just feeling, you know, know. (laughs) I just was like, Oh, please let me catch this horse. 
as uh, he's running around in the hay hay meadows, jumping irrigation ditches, and I'm running around in my Paul Bonds with my big buckaroo spurs on, like trying to catch this horse before you got home. I was just mortified that he'd get out on the highway. And, you know, anyway, I was just thinking about that this morning. Like, man, I was green when I went there, but we had a lot of fun. You were kind of a Mustanger in those days. So I also remember uh, you flagging me around on these Mustangs and uh, man, I've never been more scared for my life than some of those those days. Yeah. I I remember when that, didn't that horse flip over on, on uh, your new saddle as your brand new wood. No, that, that was Alan Ballard that bought that brand new full flowered saddle and, that I cult. think you were afraid. You were afraid. Oh, because the horse ran off with your brand new saddle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we had a lot of good times, and I learned so much. And um, those Mustangs, as much as they scared me, man, they really tested guys' endurance. And if you want to do this for a living and hang your shingle out there, man, it's like running with leg weights on with those things. I just remember every morning, some of them it was like the same thing it's like the 20th saddle was like sometimes like the first one still and yeah and, and well, uh, oh those were two really tough ones too i mean they were older the four and five year olds and they had already been fouled up and yeah you know they they were really a challenge anyway i mean you had reason to be scared of them <laughs> yeah but we had a lot of fun and rode a lot of horses and um, you taught me what a lead was and a lead change. And like, I just remember you struggling through trying to teach me some of those things. I just had no idea, but man, did I enjoy my time there. And obviously it turned into a, a lifelong friendship. Um, my, my wife and I got married at the ranch and in our hard times, you and Jane have always uh, been there to champion us and, were our, our marriage counselors for years when we were really struggling. And even when we moved away, I, I was thinking also this morning about when I got that contract to start all those Colts in Prescott for Mike Oden. And I, I, I got down there and I was like desperate for a job, right? Cause we had just lost everything in 2009 and, and Mary and I were not doing good. And, and I called you in desperation, like, I got like 15 two and three year olds to start and I'm in over my head. Like they were nice bred Colts, but they, they weren't halter broke or anything. And, and it was in the winter and you came down and spent a couple of weeks with me getting those things started and, and uh, stayed with Mary and I. And I just remember uh, feeling how, how grateful I was that you came down and helped me get those Colts going. And we had a good time getting them, getting them going, but it was fun. Yeah, well, I remember. I, I knew you needed help then, and, and I was glad to do that uh, for you. Of course, the biggest reason was concerned, we were concerned about your marriage. And then, of course, when I was living with you and Mary in your house, <laughs> <laughs> trying, trying to help you, you two, uh, I honestly, I like. I like. I don't think these two can have help. I mean, they're, they're so far gone. I was about to say, why don't you just get a divorce and get it over with? Yeah, I remember you saying, like, when you left, you're like, I love you guys, but man, you guys are like oil and water. 
Yeah, it, it was bad. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but here we are. So I, 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 I would have never bet on on it. I'll tell you, I would have bet against you because I really didn't think your marriage would survive. I didn't either. I almost did. Yeah. But yeah, you guys have just been such a staple for me and for us, and um, so it's really great to get to hear your story and have you on here because. You're you're a very fascinating guy, and your story's pretty cool. And so, let's kind of, and we can kind of interweave kind of what we were talking about at the beginning too. But, um, so you were born and and raised in Colorado, right? Correct, Western Colorado near Grand Junction. Oh, I just little drove t- through there the other day. I guess I didn't put that together. Yeah, a little town called Palisade, the foot of Grand Mesa. And, and, uh, did you have, you had horses growing up? Yeah, we had horses and, but my dad, my dad raised mules and that's primarily what I kind of cut my teeth on was, was breaking the mules because I was the only one of the kids really interested that, you know, really liked that. And, uh, so he let me start all the mules and, uh, at what you know, age? I, you know, I don't remember. I suppose two, three-year-olds. No, how old were me. you? Yeah. Oh, well, I know he had to put me up on him, and then he would lead me, you know, mm-hmm. uh, snub me up in the way we'd go. And I, I wasn't very big. I really don't know. But, you know, I know I was scared a lot. Yeah. And, and you have brothers and, and sisters? I did. I have a brother and two sisters. Older. I was the youngest of the family. And and, uh, and they weren't really that into it, not at all. No, but I I loved the mules. I mean, I I fed them and just spent a lot of time with them. I guess I was probably a bit of an introvert in many ways, and uh, you know, just growing up, I think that the mules like were my best friends. Do you think it's because you were the youngest that maybe you were introverted? Like at that point, your parents had kind of raised your siblings and sometimes the youngest, I, I feel like feels that way a little bit. Like, Well, the youngest of four and, you know, my parents were, uh, you, you know, I was, I suppose it's pretty dysfunctional family. Looking back, my mother had a uh, nervous breakdown when I was a baby, she took a butcher knife and, and slashed her arm 10 times, oh, man, like and, postpartum, uh, do you think bleed to death on the floor? Wow. And then after that, uh, I was sent away along with, uh, my sister to live with my aunt for six months. And, uh, so my mother's recovery was, uh, it took a long time. So she was like, not and the stories dad left and the neighbors would like call and say grant's out wandering around he's down by the canal we had this huge canal irrigation canal and and he's wandering along by it no no adult and uh the only thing that kept him kept him from falling in the canal was our our weimer on her dog would would uh 
stayed between me and the canal. Oh, so wow. I, I figured that dog probably saved my life. Wow. Yeah. But, you know, my dad always just kind of laughed about things like that. And, uh, and my mom really was so, so broken, uh, right th- during that time in my life, which I didn't realize. I, I sure. didn't understand. You don't, when you're a child, no. you just, you don't life. understand anything. You had nothing to compare it to. You don't. So you think that's normal. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think I just grew up very independent as a child. Well, you kind of had to, right? Yeah, I guess I had to. So my companions were like, were my dog and the mules. Because of the nurturing you weren't getting from your mom, it that doesn't, just because you're getting, not getting, it doesn't mean that the desire's not there. And that's probably why you were searching for it elsewhere. And that's why you you bonded so much with your animals is because there is a nurturing that takes place that we all need from our parents and our mom, right? And if you're not getting it, it doesn't mean it goes away. You just got to find it somewhere. And at that age, you turn to what's available and accessible. And that makes sense, I guess, right? Well, I, I guess it does. You're looking back, you know, after going through a lot of healing and counseling, because it didn't, some of those things didn't show up till I was 40 years old. Honestly. Yeah, they don't. They don't. Yeah. yeah. And I had this, I had this wandering spirit, you know, uh, vagabond spirit in me that I was never at home because I had been sent away as a child for six months. And whereas a baby, I bonded to my aunt. And when I came home, my mother, you know, came back, was healed enough for me to come home. But when, they always laughed that when I got home, I was never at home. I was always going from room to room looking for my aunt because my mm. parents weren't my parents. My yeah. aunt and uncle were my parents. Yeah. And, and so I was always, all through childhood, I was always running away from home. I would pack my bags like on a regular, you know, little suitcase and, and, and run away from home. I'd go to the neighbors and stay with them. And that, that same pattern just stayed with me, you know, for really the first half of my life. And yeah. I didn't even realize what it was, but I was never at home and I was never satisfied or content with where I was. It's, so that's amazing. Movie, yeah. I was a drifter. I was a drifter. Yeah. yeah. And and I, I, I bet if, if there was a statistic that showed that anybody who, that is a vagabond, a drifter that's restless like that. It probably stems from something similar in their childhood that they weren't getting right. Because there's something inside of us that's looking for peace and looking for the opposite of chaos. And if, if things are chaos at home, it's like, yeah, you don't know what you're doing when you're four years old, but you're, but, but subconsciously you're looking for that. You're looking for the opposite of chaos. You're looking for peace. And you're looking for a place to find rest. And if you can't find it, you just, cause that's my story too, right? Like I just moved every six months for, I was just on the run my whole life. And, and that's kind of, it sounds like what was happening when you were growing up too. It, it really is, which is, you know, kind of when I got out of high school, I just took off, you know, and I, my, my idea of life would be just go, 
you know, from ranch to ranch working uh, and, and never staying in one place very long, but just getting that adventure. That was my whole purpose. When I first came to Wyoming, you know, I rode a mule. Yeah. Let's talk about, let's talk about this story. So I, I, I love how you got to Wyoming and, and why talk about what your stand at the railroad just for a minute. Cause I think that was a pretty fascinating job you had as well. Yeah. When I got out of high school, uh, you know, college, I was going to put college off because I had really good scholarships. I was a, a wrestler and I was, I was a good wrestler. I placed in state and won district four times. So I had a couple oh, of wow. really good scholarships, but, uh, just wanted to take a year off. It's tough, tough sport. And, you know, you're required to cut weight and just live real clean. And honestly, I just wanted to take a year off and drink beer and chase girls. And yeah, heck yeah. And so a buddy of mine was working on the railroad and I got this job on the rock gang, which is a crazy job where you hang off cliffs on ropes you repel down with a bar these huge rocks head to the cliff that might fall on a rail and break a, a rail and derail a train so it was a very unique exciting job where we'd, we'd plant dynamite on the side of the mountain and light a fuse and <laughs> and repel down oh my you know, gosh run behind a rock and, and let it blow off so it was really exciting uh, until one day our foreman sent us up on the wrong cut and uh, it was just in the middle of a, a wet. He told us to bar off. Me and one other guy told us to bar off this rock, you know. And he, we really should have shot the whole thing down. Uh, but he was about to retire, and he didn't want to make waves, so hold up train. So he told us just to bar this one rock off, and we barred that rock, and the whole mountain came down on us. And I just knew I was going to die. It was like slow motion. And this voice in me said, uh, you're going to die. And this is what it's going to, or I'm going to die. No, I'm going to die now. And this is what it's going to feel like to die. There was no doubt in my mind I was going to die because the whole mountain was coming down on me and I had nowhere to go. And literally it was a miracle. Uh, I died behind a rock and all these huge rocks had come over my head. And then the one I was hiding behind started to move and I kick out and and, uh, and jump behind another one and more would come over. And it was just hundreds of tons of rocks. Wow. Huge rocks. I mean, rocks the size of a, a car. And I was in the middle of it. And, uh, you know, there was an old guy across the canyon with flagging trains and he watched me and he was an old Italian guy. And he, they called me Bumpy. And they said, oh, Bumpy, I saw you go underneath and you were gone. Mm. Oh, Bumpy's wow. Gone. And, uh, <laughs> And then he said, you come flying out. And then you'd go under again, like, oh, he came out. Now he's gone again. <laughs> Man. It, it was really funny how I explained that. But uh, probably, probably didn't feel funny to you at the time. Oh, well, it all happened like it was slow motion, but it happened really fast. So fast. Was that yeah. your uh, was that the end of your extent on the railroad? Well, it was, I tried to go back after I tried to go back up on the cliff and I couldn't, uh, my legs would start shaking. Yeah. It's so traumatic. And uh, I literally had, was, uh, had the fear of heights from then on before that I could just hang over a cliff or anything. But so I had this fear that I would just start going and it was trauma. 
and I would start shaking. So I, I couldn't handle it. And I didn't want to work on the ground, you know, because that's not exciting. So I just said, you know, I think it's time for me to do what my dream was, which was ride the Rocky Mountains to Canada. That's what I wanted to do. Take a pack mule and ride and just travel cross country and and adventure, work on ranches along the way and and just be a mountain man and, you know go on an adventure so that's what i did i i really spent all my money on a mule and borrowed another one from a friend and i had 500 dollars in my pocket and i took off i rode the oregon trail up to kind of southern wyoming and uh, ended up in atlantic city a little mining town and walked into the bar i thought i was real cool i walked in the bar at a six shooter on my hip and tied, tied my meals to the rail i was I stunk like a old mountain man how and old I, were you i was 19 wow and let me and ask, I, can i ask a question yeah did, did you you had friends and stuff i mean you played sports you played football and you wrestled so Mm-hmm. you you liked people enough right like it wasn't you weren't a you weren't like a hermit that like didn't like people and wanted solitude that's that's fascinating that you would choose like that's what you wanted to do and you were able to leave you know friends and people to go on this journey by yourself at 19 with a pack mule to ride to the canadian border like well there's there's a god factor in this of course you know god is direct us even when we don't know it jeremy and he he was directing me when i look back but i always chose the wrong friends i you know i hung out with the most wild friends and they were always about getting killed you know uh, they got in car wrecks and uh a couple of them one went and oh, i just yeah i could go on and on but yeah I'll tell you one story. They were working on a ranch and they got on their motorcycle and the lights went out. They were going to the bar at night and the lights went out on, on the motorcycle because they'd hot wired. I don't know. Cause they lost the key or something, <laughs> you know, and they're headed to the bar and this is up in Colburn, Colorado. And, uh, the lights went out and they missed the turn, went off, hit a barbed wire fence. One went, my best friend went down the fence and the wire cut his face from the top of his nose, clear to his chin. So it, it peeled his whole face off. Oh my goodness. It peeled his nose off, knocked all his teeth out or, and, and uh, literally he almost died. And they, they got him to the hospital and they sewed him, started sewing him up. And long story after after 19 plastic surgeries he still looked pretty much like frankenstein wow it 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 really ruined his life and my other friend uh was a wild son of a gun and you know kind of the popular guy all the girls love but you know he looked like clint eastwood and i i idolized him but every everything he influenced me is was to you know, just down the wrong road and so something going up with 
enough of God in my life to know I was headed down a bad path. Yeah. Enough to be like, I got to pull myself out of this or I can see where I'm headed. Yes, sir. And, yeah. uh, you know, I was, I was living in as much sin as you can imagine, you know, chasing girls and sleeping around and getting drunk and, you know, uh, it, it was fun and exciting, but on the other hand, I knew I was headed for a yeah. dead end somewhere. So solitude so and so I knew I needed a change. Yeah. And, and this so seemed like what, a good option to get a mule, pack mule and head out. Yeah. And, and to get away from the influence of my, you know, my yeah. friends, cause I, I was too easily influenced by them. That's just really could, something to recognize that at 19, like I kind of figured some of that stuff out, but I was like 30. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. 19. To- well, there was something in me because, you know, I mean, I had accepted the Lord as a nine-year-old. Right. And I had an experience, you know, a born again experience in a little Baptist church. And I'll never forget it to this day. You know, the yeah. day that I had, was convicted and I received Christ and that that was that was a moment in my life and so i had god in my life and then even not long after that i i had an experience on i call it a mountaintop experience where i was just up under the stars and in you know and i felt the presence of god so strong that i was like one with him and i never forgot that experience that one experience just uh, it captivated me. And then, and then when I was again at 12, I had another experience where I was filled with the Holy spirit and that really just got me. So I had enough of that Holy spirit in me. I think that really was trying to get me to save me from myself because I was living, you know, I had just gone backwards and, and hadn't hadn't followed up or cultivated that or been mentored in any way or discipled, whatever you want to call it. So I just fell into the into an even worse lifestyle. And I think really, you know, maybe some of your viewers that relate to this, I just wanted adventure. Yeah. And to me, the you know, the Christian lifestyle example of friends that I knew that are not friends, but classmates that were Christians, like were boring. <laughs> that's right and, and i didn't <laughs> so I true didn't want to be, i didn't want to be like them yeah and the lie is right with the church is like it is boring it's like you gotta beat yourself into submission to follow these religious systems and protocols and that just is not life-giving so it's like you can't reconcile the two right like how can i what's this living life abundantly it's it's in opposition to what they what i feel when i go to this church on sundays so it is that struggle because i felt the same thing i'm like if this is what it's supposed to be to be a christian i'm i think i'm out i think i gotta i I, there's this calling deep inside that's that's pulling on me more than the four walls of a church are pulling on me and it sounds like we sharing that too, even though we've never talked about it, but which is what led me to Wyoming all also was that call of the wild, right? Of like, mm-hmm. 
man, there's got to be more to than this this church system thing. But that's what landed you on your way to in Wyoming with the pack mule walking into this saloon. Oh yeah, and I you know I think I'd read too many Lewis Lamore books growing up. Uh, <laughs> You know, we lived in a railroad car when, so I worked for the railroad a year and a half. And I think I read every Lewis Lamore book there was while I was really working a job that I didn't think was me. You know, I didn't think I'd really stay there. I was just trying to make enough money and decide whether to go to college, you know, or, or do what, but that, uh, it's what you read influences you. And, uh, you know, I just pictured myself as one of the sackets, I guess. And, I took off to be a mountain man and work on ranches. And so that's what, you know, I was living the dream. I, I, I was living the dream that I wanted. So I walked up and slapped my hand on the bar and said, whiskey to the old bartender. And he got a pretty good kick <laughs> out of that. And uh, we, we immediately become friends and I had camped down on the Creek and, and he said, well, why don't you come back and, and we got a bluegrass band playing and, and have a steak. I think he might have offered to buy me. He kind of recognized me as a, some young kid that was like, <laughs> you know, and wandering around needed some help. But he was a great guy. We ended up being friends. And so I went up and got good and drunk and danced all night till two in the morning. Then I, I started walking back down to try to find my camp. And I, I couldn't find it and I got cold and I, or I got tired and I fell asleep and then I woke up and shivering cold and I managed to build a little fire in the dark, you know, and get warmed up. And, and then I finally found my camp daylight and my meals were gone. Oh no. Oh and that, yeah. And I thought, well, they've gone. They, they probably went back to Colorado. You know, that's what meals do. They go home. Right. And so I went back up to this old, this old boy and he drove me around uh, we found uh, found my mules eating in somebody's yard you know eating their <laughs> flowers so uh i gathered them up and he helped me get a job in pinedale packing for an outfitter and uh, so i rode on up to pinedale so you rode you you finished your track up there uh riding how far yeah, I, how far was it oh i don't know it it was quite a ways <laughs> i was but yeah, there was some, yeah, I did some dry camps. I made about 40, probably 40, 50 miles a day. Those meals trotting, but I, uh, I pulled into the big Sandy ranch down at the South end of the winds. And it was the most beautiful place I'd ever seen. And it had been, been raining on me for three days. And I was wet and cold and, and I pulled in there and asked the guy for some, if he had some oats, he could sell me for my mules and, I ended up staying there and, and Brandon calves and, you know, and, uh, and got to met Rennie Burke, who later on, I ended up working for a couple summers and, Oh yeah, I know him. Yeah. Rennie, he was an amazing guy. And so from there on, I, I went to work at the Boulder Lake ranch. Did you have any, did you have any experienced cowboy at all? Or at this no, point? No, not before that. No. Yeah, you had like very little. You know, I was a cowboy. I wasn't even mean, close to being a cowboy. In my mind, I was a cowboy. <laughs> yeah, because of the Louis L'Amour books you read. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I could ride. You know, I could ride a mule, and 
you know, break a colt. I thought I could, no, I could just, I was a tough kid, but, uh, you know, fortunately I got to, to start that way a little bit and, and packed and, and, uh, ended up guiding elk hunters for five years on that, that same outfitter at five hunting seasons. So that was a great, uh, feeling of my dreams to do that. But when I rode into that, or when I got into go to work at the Boulder Lake Ranch, they were shooting a movie about the sheep and cattle wars. Oh, wow. And, and so I got to be in the movie. I got to be like one of the posse that chased the outlaws and shoot up a cabin. Wow. And so it was like really a dream come true. Now I've, I was you, in the movie. I yeah. You arrived. Pickens. Yeah. I, I met slim Pickens and I ended up dating his daughter for a while. And wow. And it, yeah. I mean, it was just, you were living the life, living the adventure. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And there were some good, some good hands there. I remember that, you know, kind of tried to help me learn a few things, but I, I was a proud little turd. So I, you know, I didn't really take advantage of, of the, any, any mentorship, like admitting that I didn't know anything. Mm. Right. So I think happens to a lot of young men that just don't want to admit they don't know. Yeah. So they won't listen to somebody that does. Yeah. Anyway, that's so how that's long did you what did you so you stayed in Wyoming um you uh in the summers too or in the winters too? Like you stayed yeah, in I Wyoming spent, for a while? I spent I spent my first winter out snowed in on a on a ranch feeding some horses and you know it's a miracle uh just to survive that winter and then i that kind of that early spring i went to work for a ranch up there the bar cross in coral wyoming well that was in february so i started kind of calving night calving for them and feeding cows with a team of horses and in the snow and and uh, I froze my ears. I froze my ears that year because I refused to not wear my cowboy hat. I wouldn't wear any of my cowboy hat. <laughs> yeah. and that, I remember you know, those days. When you come from country like I'd come from, it wasn't that cold. It's 30 below zero there. Yeah, and you're wearing your cowboy and, hat. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, you, <laughs> it was stupidity what it was, but. I, I loved it. I learned to drive a team, you know, in a sleigh and feed cows. And, and of course we rode, uh, you know, there was a pretty good hand there and, and, uh, I got to learn a little bit there. And then I went to work for that Rennie Burkback on the big Sandy and, and they ran cows. So I got to, you know, do a little bit there and, and, and Russell dudes make do pack trips and things like that so I, I i was enjoying my life and then i ran into this guy that been to nevada and he said you ought to go to nevada that's where the real ranches are and so he planted that seed so you know i ended up going to nevada and going to elko and and uh did you have a I job lined up no i didn't have anything lined up he just said go to the unemployment office and you can get a buckaroo job you know so I showed up a little too early that winter and uh, they weren't, they weren't hiring any buckaroos. 
And the guy said, well, you can go on unemployment. I was like, I don't want to go on unemployment. He said, well, there's one job. And that's a Tamara ranch, but you don't want to go there. <laughs> Nobody stays there. <laughs> and so I said, I will I'll take it. So I went and that, that, that's, uh, that's a lot, a lot of fun in that deal there too. But I mean, that's a whole story in itself about working there. And, but you know, I got, again, I kind of fell into the wrong lifestyle there and I ended up going to work for the Spanish ranch that, that spring. Oh, wow. And, that's a uh, pretty historic outfit. And, uh, that buckaroo culture yeah, famous look, for, uh, really nice horses, right? Famous for bronchi horses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's good. Yeah. 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 I got bucked off quite a bit. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Who was the cow boss when you were there? Bill. Well, Pee-wee, Pee-wee was the cow boss. Bill Kane was the manager. Oh, Bill Kane. People yep. know who Bill Kane is. Yep. He's kind of a legend around there. And Bill took a liking to me. You know, I met him at the commercial hotel and, and he hired me. And I, I don't know why, because I was so green. And, you know, I remember being so broke that I'd go to the, I'd go to the whorehouse just to talk to a girl. And they'd, they'd let me talk to a girl if I, for five bucks if I'd buy her a drink. <laughs> I couldn't afford to sleep with her. But, uh, wow, you were, you were broke. I was so broke because I was making a pickup payment and making 400, you know, making 350 a month. And I, my pickup payment was, I think it was 250 or 275 a month or something like that. So, yeah, I just was living on nothing. Fortunately, you got room and board, but I couldn't. And I'd go into Capriolas and just drool all over the. I wanted a Capriola saddle so bad with a, a post horn. And I had this old lady saddle that I rode and it just didn't have very good valley horn. And I, I wanted to be a buckaroo real bad. <laughs> well, you were doing it. Um, did, I, I was trying. Did you love your time there to span? I did. Yeah, I, I loved it. You know, many times I think I wish I'd have just stayed in another life. I'd have just stayed, but that's wasn't where I was directed. And I had given my word to this rancher in Wyoming that if he ever got in a bind, you know, I, I rode for the brand by God. And, and, uh, if you ever get in a bind, you call me, I'll be there. Well, he, he wrote me a letter. And we were about to go out on the wagon and I was really wanting to go out on the wagon. Oh, he yeah. wrote me a letter and, and kind of held me to my word. And, you know, like, yeah, I got to keep your word. You ride for the brand. So I left and, and I went back to Wyoming. Well, he put me to work fencing. And, so you, uh, so you, le you left the wagon at the Spanish ranch to go back to Wyoming to build fence. That was yeah. probably hard. That was yeah, probably I was not happy. I wasn't happy with him, but you know, then we ended up Kevin and Brandon and stuff, but I never really got to, you know, learn to be a, a really good hand through any of that. I worked at it, but I never really, I always envied the guys that, that were, that were good that I was around. And, uh, you know, that was just part of my life, I guess. But I, I think that, uh, that the, the amazing thing about through all that is, you know, God never left me. And, 
And uh, I'll tell you a quick funny story. And I don't know if this where you're going, but it's a pretty funny story because uh, anybody that's worked at the Spanish ranch knows what the bunkhouse was like. It was this big stone berry barn, I think. But it only had a few light bulbs hanging down and <laughs> and uh, a few dividers where you you could sleep and they had all the buckaroos in one side and the and the Mexican help in the other side and kind of with a wooden wood stove and the whole thing. So it was it's pretty rustic. There was one guy that said that it was, he'd been in prison and he said prison was a lot better than the bunkhouse <laughs> at the Spanish ranch. <laughs> I've heard that too. <laughs> it's funny. To me, I, you know, I was living the dream. Oh well, yeah. They'd had it. They, somebody had taken the cook to town and got him drunk and he didn't come back. So they fired Bill fired that guy that took him to town and he brought another guy out to cook and he, he was, he'd been on a drunk. So he was detoxing. Well, they put him next to me and uh, I had one of my dreams because we've been moving yearlings out of the, corral or something and so i had one of my dreams i was moving yearlings and i was i jumped out of bed and i grabbed this cook who's still on half on a detox you know i mean <laughs> he's he's not even there and uh, i grabbed him by the you know his collar and threw him up against the wall and started yelling at him to get out of the corner and you know i was talking to them yearlings i guess i don't know and anyway uh he he woke up and he He's like, no, please don't hurt me, please. I, I won't do it again. He said, I won't do it again. Don't hurt me. And so that day, that day he quit. He oh laughed. no! Oh yeah, he said, you're crazy. I'm, I'm leaving. And boy, they were mad at me because a really good cook. <laughs> you ran off. And the Mexican the... said, you 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 work all day. You work all day. You work all night. What what's the matter with you? Something just sick about you. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's funny just go at it again i'm sure things have changed yeah i don't know if much has changed there i've had friends wander through there and i think it's still pretty much the same i don't know um so you go back to wyoming and uh kind of go back to work for that guy um and and uh how long did you stay there once you went back there that spring I worked for him till that that summer, and I went to work for Rennie Burke again uh, down on the Big Sandy. And then that next year, I went to uh, that's when I went to Wyoming for that winter. And then I came back. I worked for Rennie again, and then I met my first wife, who's Lockie. She was living on a cow camp, and yeah, she was she was living on a, in a camp job by herself. Yeah, by herself. Wow. She was healing up from a bad relationship. Okay. And she had a bunch of thoroughbred horses she was training uh, for polo. And and she was working for the ranch to pay for the place to use. And, and so I would trot my horse down seven miles to see her and, uh, and trot home. And we kind of fell in love. And she was a musician, played amazing, you know, Western music, like Little Joe the Wrangler and, you know, Whispering Pines. And why do you ride for your money? So I, I, she was a romantic, so I fell in love with her. And, you know, she chewed tobacco and and could ride a bronc and, and wow. 
pack me a pack a meal and you found your soulmate yeah that's what i thought for sure and so we ran off to texas that fall and she got me a job breaking colts for a a guy that trained polo horses so he turned out to be the son uh, the father of the best polo player in the country tommy wayman who's 10 goals wow yeah yeah and he was a cowboy himself you know a great horseman and a cowboy grew up as a cowboy and and then of course got into polo made his fortune a lot of these guys did that because they could sell their you know good horses for about 10 times what they could get anywhere else did you did you have any uh an aptitude for polo did you know anything about it no, I just knew that, you know, you could sell a horse for a lot of money and that's where she was going. So, you know, I went with her to just chasing another dream. Sure. Uh, in that case, it was hers, but, you know, it sounded good to get out of Wyoming, go to Texas and, for and the winter, you know, yeah. ride colts. I didn't know I would be playing polo. I just was going to go break a bunch of colts and ride horses for the guys. So that was all part of you know, sounded good to me, but pretty soon I got these Colts going and, and he's, he made me put a English saddle on them. Well, I'd never read an English saddle. And, uh, and then next thing, you know, he's wants me to swing a mallet on him and get him used to that and then hit the ball around. Well, you talk about getting bucked off and falling off a lot of times, <laughs> but I learned to ride an English saddle. That's a tough game. Yeah. And, uh, We'd play every day. We'd play green horse polos that, that was training the horses. It was strictly for training the horses and played on a dirt field. But I loved it. I It was so fun. I mean, it was like having doing the most fun thing you've ever done every day. And uh, so I, I, I was like a pig in poo. I just loved it. And uh, Yeah, because it, it checks all the boxes, right? You're, you're on a horse. You're going fast. There's a an objective. Yeah, it's a team sport. You, you know, it's like hockey on a horse. Yeah, really. It's at a high speed. High speed. So it, it's uh, uh, it's checking all the boxes like adrenaline, speed, horsemanship, team, people watch. It's the same like allure of rodeo, right? Like you get to show off your talents in front of people at some point. Like, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's And it's really horsemanship. Horsemanship is the, you know, the most important factor of it all, because if you can't get to the ball, you can't hit it and you can't beat your opponent to the ball. If you can't outrun him or get in yeah. position on him and your horse, you know, the horses, it's a tough game to get a horse to do. They got to meet another horse running flat out at him, you know, head on with a man on him, swinging a stick. <laughs> well, He's been you hit know, before, and, and, and hitting a, a hard plastic ball that sometimes hits them, and so it, it's a tough game to get a horse good at that really, you know, excels at it. But you could get back in those days, we could get ten to, you know, ten to fifteen thousand for a horse. Wow, and that would be like fifty thousand now. So yeah, it was really good money. So you went from four hundred fifty a month to riding these horses to sell one and like it's more than you made in two years one sale right right well i went to work you know i went to work working for 400 a month to, for a guy riding 
training his horses just so he'd board mine and you know all that but again you know fate is amazing that how our destiny we are directed to our destiny because i ended up working you know for the best polo player in the country and then i ended up going to work for another guy who tur turned out to be like the legend of horsemen in polo his name was harold berry he, he was nine golds for 15 years and wow you know, the only reason they say he didn't make 10 is because he chewed tobacco in front of the Queen of England. <laughs> and polit politically, he wouldn't. And he was an old cowboy. Yeah, he didn't care. Truscott, uh, uh, Truscott Texas, up there. So uh, I got to be good friends with him. And, and then we did start selling some pretty good horses. And I'll never forget the first time I sold a horse for 15000 It was like. I had to practice in the mirror, you know, selling yeah. the guy what fifteen thousand. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a whole different world. With five, yeah, you thought so, you were going to be able to retire soon, probably. Well, no, it was just <laughs> just make enough money to go get another batch of green horses and do it again, you know. Yeah, that. and you and Lockie were doing this together. We were doing this together. Yeah. And of course, there's a lot more to the story too, because they didn't get along in the job together, you know, riding for a guy, same deal. And he got mad at Lockie because she mouthed off to him. She was bad about that. And, and he fired her and didn't fire me. And then she was all mad that I didn't quit, you know, st stick up for her. Yeah. So I, I ended up quitting and going in the oil field and make, you know, I made enough money there that I could afford to. I could afford to uh, at least play and, and get my horses played and stuff. So You did that in Texas? You went to work did in the oil patch? Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. Where at? Uh, in Luling, Texas. I ran a backhoe in the oil patch, and then I, I laid casing on oil, oil uh, you know, for a casing crew out of Seguin, Texas. How long did you do that? Just that one winter? Yeah, just part of a winter there, just to make enough money, you know, to get back where I could be training the horses again. It was all about the horses to me, yeah. everything. Yeah. Everything was about the horses. Then did you go back to Wyoming for the summer? Yeah, we would go back to, uh, we went back to the little cow camp that she'd been on and, and gathered up another bunch of green horses and, and start over. So and were you day working and cowboying on these polo prospects? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that I loved all that. And uh that that was a great part of my life. But you know, again, the same time, you know, having trouble with Lockie. And then I really thought so God was not he was he was a part of the picture because I really felt like I was supposed to marry her. It's like that God wanted me to marry her, you know and uh that he put us together and honestly i don't really you know know if that was true or not uh, but we ended up getting married and uh and do boys and then and then we went, started going to california uh they had a really good club there and we heard that you could really sell a horse there make a horse it's a beautiful place so we started going to indio california every winter and play and then we go back to wyoming and then we kind of We'd go back to start going to Sun Valley, Idaho, and playing. I got a pro job there. I got a so pro you're job playing, in Canada. So now you're playing, playing polo on a team. I'm playing professional. 
professionally. I started playing, getting paid to play. Oh, nice. Yeah, getting paid pretty good to play by sponsors, you know, which is just wealthy guys that love the sport and they would hire pros to play with them. And uh, there wasn't any money in it. You just win trophies, but but it's kind of a rich man's game. So they'd hire pros. And I I was a pro for, well, for ended up playing professionally for 15 years and wow. traveled, got to travel, you know, a lot. But again, that kind of fed my wandering spirit because we were yeah. always on the move. Do you, um, do you think, I found that I like to move a lot because, partly because I never, um, I, if I stayed somewhere too long, I started feeling emotions that I didn't like and I wasn't comfortable with. And like I was going to have to face or deal with something. So it was much easier to move because if you're excited and being stimulated all the time by new country. And for me, it was new country, new people, new girls, new, you know, I always needed excitement. I always needed it. Man, if I felt like I stuck around very long, I would feel emotions starting to try to find their way up and out. And I, it was easier to run and be on the move and chase fun and excitement and adventure than the thought of dealing with whatever was gurgling in my gut. You know, do you mm -hmm. think that that may have been looking back like a little bit of what was going on with you as well? Oh, no doubt. My greatest son, I being bored, you know, looking back, I just loved it. And country, new, new horses, new job that kind of fed that, that thing. I always tell people, you know, wherever, wherever you go, that's where you are. You can't get away from yourself. Yeah. And if, if you're really running, you're running from yourself and where you, where you go goes with you, you yeah. go with you. So you eventually like the horse, you got to face, you got to face up. And, and that's the, that's the hardest thing you can do is, is face yourself. Your fears. Yeah. I mean, you know, I always loved, I love that poem. It just cut me to the heart when Ray Hunt used to do that man in the glass poem. Yeah. I heard and, uh, was good. and, and I, I think I started to find truth, you know, through that whole thing with Ray Hunt. I was really blessed to, to get to go to some clinics that, because the guy I worked for William Devane was an actor. And oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I worked for him and, and uh, he, he knew about Ray. And so he took me to a clinic in LA and, uh, you know, I just saw, I saw what I'd never seen, what somebody could do with a horse. And, uh, I was totally hooked. And then Bill. <laughs>